in chapter 27 this morning. As you know, uh, each week as we're studying through scriptures, we're walking, and uh, walking is not fast, uh, but it is deliberate. And so each week we usually are in the next chapter, in the next passage, but to throw you off, Next week, we will not be in Genesis chapter 28, but we'll actually be having what we call the State of the Church Address. And we do this once a year to communicate like what's different about us than other churches and why God called us here, why we do things the way we do them, but also to point out some things that God has done throughout the last year. And we do it in the beginning of March or the end of February because that's when we started the church, March chapter, March chapter, March 3rd, 2013. So we'll be officially eight years old. It'll be our church birthday. So what I like to do on birthdays, and maybe some of you are the same, is I like to eat food. And especially for me, my love language, my wife has told me, is tacos. And so we're going to have a taco bar. And so we're going to provide meat and uh, the tortilla shells and some chips. And then there's a sign-up sheet on the back table for anybody that wants to bring uh, (coughs) guacamole, because who doesn't like guacamole? Uh, I didn't used to, but I do now. And, uh, and cheese and whatever other fixings you like with your tacos, maybe some sides. So there's a sign-up sheet in the back. I realized that I threw it on you last minute, and it's next week. Uh, but you guys never sign up to the last minute anyway. So what would be the point in putting the sign-up sheet out there early? Um, anyway, Genesis chapter 27. So in Genesis chapter 27, uh, we have... Um, kind of been looking at the life of Isaac, and there's, believe it or not, there's not a whole lot about Isaac. We see him uh, basically being offered up on the altar. We see him as the son of promise that God has given to Abraham and Sarah when they were very old. They conceived and brought forth Isaac. Uh, His name means laughter because it was laughable that they would have children at the age that they did. Um, But in Isaac's story, what we see is that after he's offered up, you really don't hear about him again until his father, Abraham, sends the servant, Eleazar, back to his home country to get a bride for Isaac. And so he gets a bride for Isaac. And then in Genesis chapter 25, we see that there's some trouble in the womb of his wife, Rebekah. And from this trouble, this turmoil, these birth pangs come twins. And God has said these will be two nations, not just two sons, but two nations that will come forth from her womb. And in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, it actually says there, the Lord said to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And I do believe that many times as we have children, as we multiply, that God gives us a specific word about those children, and he wants us to pray for those children in that way. And many times uh, we name our children based on what we want to see God do in their lives. For us personally, we, we named Lucy, Lucy Isabel, because we wanted her, Lucy, uh, luminous, to be light. We wanted a light to exude from her life. And then uh, Judah, we wanted him to be content and thankful and lead people in praise. Now, whether or not they do that is up to them, but it's also up to the Lord in the ways that he's gifted them. And so we're raising them, believing that God is in control of all things, and we're trying to speak things into their life that would lead them towards 
following Jesus and trusting Jesus and serving Jesus. And so in the same way, God gives them a word about their sons. But what happens is that we find out that one people shall be stronger. And as we looked, Esau is definitely that. His name means Harry. And when he's born, he comes out first. And yet his brother grabs a hold of his heel like, hey, I want to come out first. And they name him Jacob, which we know a lot of children named Jacob, but Jacob means supplanter or heel catcher, or in our vernacular might be a cheap shot artist or schemer or conniver. Uh, He's shifty. And so what's interesting about him being the shifty one is it says that the older shall actually serve the younger, which in their culture would not happen. The firstborn would receive the blessing, the birthright, and actually carry on the family name. They would be uh, the one that's given the double portion. And so in Genesis 27, and really I'm going to go back to Genesis 26, verse 34, it speaks about Esau. Now Esau was 40 years old, and he took wives, Judith, he took his wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Now I go back those um, two verses because many times we look at Scripture and we go, well, why would you include that in chapter 27? Well, I think it ties in better with 27 than it does 26. In 26, it seems like there's random information at the end of a chapter and it doesn't really tie in. Well, Scripture is fully inspired by the Spirit of God, but the chapter breaks... And the verses, not necessarily. Uh, We put those in afterwards so we wouldn't have to say, uh, you know, in Genesis, about uh, 452 words in, there's this sentence, and this is what I want to quote to you. So it's for our reference. Um, And so we find out that Esau is a man who has married pagan wives, and it is a grief to the mind of his parents. In verse 1 of chapter 27, it says, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. Now, when he says the phrase, my son, what he's saying is my favorite. He's, he's calling out to the son that it has most grace in his eyes. And if you remember, uh, Isaac loves this son, Esau, because he's manly, he's a typical dad, but also because of the wonderful, savory food that he makes from the venison that he shoots. And so he's a hunter, he's a man's man, and so he favors this son because he's the manliest of the two. Um, And he answered him, Esau answered Isaac and said, here I am. And then he said, behold, now I am old. And I don't know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So he says, I am old, and I don't know the end of my days. Now, uh, Martin Luther calculated that Esau, or excuse me, that Isaac was around 140 years old. I think he brought it to 137. He was very exact on his math. But what's interesting is he doesn't know the end of his days. He feels like he's getting towards the end of it. So he's preparing his household. 
He's getting his household in order. He wants to make sure that the next generation understands his wishes, his last will, if you will. And so, but what's interesting is he thinks he's about ready to die, but he doesn't actually die for another generation, another 40 years. He lives to be 180. So Isaac's attempt is to get his affairs in order. So before he blesses his son, he says, why don't you make me some food? But what I want you to think about is Isaac's life was one that we understand as a prayerful life. Remember, if you will, uh, when the servant comes back with his bride, we find Isaac waiting upon the Lord in the field, and he is praying. He's a very godly man. He's, he's a man who trusts the Lord. He's perhaps even praying, Lord, let Eleazar not come back with somebody that I'm not attracted to. I don't know. He doesn't say that, but he's praying by faith that God would provide just the right bride. And as she arrives, it says that he stands up and he looks to see those that are coming in on their camels. But then now we see Isaac, and he's kind of a man who's led by his appetites. You might say his lust for tasty food. And that's interesting about the life of a man. Typically, younger when, when he's younger, he's all invigorated about his bride. And later, he's like, you know, let's just eat popcorn instead. Um, and yet Isaac, now he's laying around, he's thinking about his next meal, um, he's insisting on blessing his choice of two sons rather than the one that God had clearly told him, at, even before they were born, which one would serve the other. And so here he is, he's made his choice, and I put there for you a sign for you hunters, hey, uh, hunting is biblical, we need to get that sign from Hobby Lobby, we need to have that in our home. Maybe some of you would put it on your Facebook profile and go, take that, PETA, you know. But all that to say, uh, in verse 5, it continues. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he, he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. And so Rebekah gets involved. Now, I want to first talk about Esau. We talked a little bit about Isaac. Now let's look at Esau, who is Isaac's favorite. He's a man's man. He's hairy. He's a hunter. He despised his birthright. If you remember in Genesis chapter 25, he actually sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. And I made, I made light of the fact and I made fun of the fact that he, he sold his birthright for a vegetarian meal. That doesn't mean I'm against vegetarians. Somebody commented on that. But it means that, I mean, if you're going to sell your birthright, it me, if you're going to sell your life out, let's take it to that extreme. If you're going to sell your life out for the things that this world can offer you, don't sell your life out for the cheap stuff. Go big. Go motley crew. Eat the biggest steak. If you're going to sell out your spiritual inheritance for the things this world has to offer, don't be driving around some car with one of those bumblebee mufflers. 
Uh, go big. Sell it all. Buy you a Ferrari. I mean, if you're going to go out and, and you're going to you know, go on the highway to hell, at least go there in style. But don't sell it out for beans. They're just going to leave you with gas and indigestion anyway. But here he sa- it says he despised his birthright. And then also what we saw at the end of chapter 26, he married pagan wives. Descendants of, if you were, what, what's the big deal with that? Well, if you remember, they were descendants of the cursed lot, which was, remember, the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it actually says there, and right after the flood, cursed be Canaan. Well, the Hittites were descendants of the Canaanites, and so their line was cursed. And however you want to look at that, every time they went back for a bride, they went back to their people, which were descendants of Shem. And if you remember, there was not a curse on Shem, but there was a blessing that says, blessed be the God of Shem. And Abraham is a descendant of Eber, which we believe is where they get the idea of the Hebrews. And so all that to say, he's choosing a wife, not from the descendants of Shem, but instead, because he is despicable in the sight of his parents, he's, he's like, well, I'm going to marry these, these fast women of the Hittites. And so, but what I want to point out, is that his character is not there. But also, I want to talk about the difference between a birthright and a blessing. Here, he's getting ready to bless Esau, but he's already despised what we call the birthright, and they're not the same thing. The birthright is the double portion materially and financially, but it's also tied together. You're now also the new family leader. But on top of that, you are now the next spiritual leader of the family. And so when he says, I'm about to die, I don't care about a birthright. I don't care about spiritual things. Just give me something to put in my guts. I'm hungry. I'm lusting for food. I'm about to die physically. And what we also see is that the blessing is different. The blessing is what kids around you, in your neighborhood, maybe even in your family, They're acting out because they don't know who they are and they don't know what God has for them. The blessing is something that we've lost in our culture. And if you know any uh, families that, that speak over their families or their sons and their daughters, blessing, what they do is there's touch involved, proper touch, putting your hands on your children and praying for them while they're listening, not just when they're sleeping, audibly praying over them the things that you desire for them to see and, and receive from God. This is who you are. The reason that kids are wandering around in our society, and you might say they're aimless and they seem like they have no direction, is because nobody's directing them. And the ones who are directing them, by the way, don't have any direction themselves. They've arrived. They're partying. They're, they're spending all they have to gain something that's not even possible with the amount of money they have. They're selling, they're they're sold out for the things of this world. And so our job as parents is to lay hands on our children, to pray for them so they can hear our heart for them, not just what we're telling them not to do. But what are they called to do? Who are they? Who am I? If kids don't know who they are, it's because their parents haven't told them. This is your heritage. This is who we are as a family of believers. But then also, here is where we believe that God has planned to send you. 
And guess what? If we pray wrong, God can sort through all that. He can redirect them. Our children are his. They're not ours. But this is the blessing that they're getting ready to fight over. Who am I? What's my identity? And where am I headed? What's my direction? And so Isaac has chosen who he wants to bless. He wants to bless Esau. And yet it's very evident from our text today that Rebekah has a favorite as well. Uh, Jacob was known not for being a man of the field and smelling like a manly man or being hairy, but it says that he was actually fair, which means that he was like a grape, no hair, could not grow a beard if his life depended upon it. He was not a man's man. He was not a hunter. It actually says that he was dwelling in tents. He was a good cook, which is also needed. And so here we have this man who's not a man's man, but Rebecca has a plan to make sure that Jacob gets the blessing, and it involves deceit. Now, we looked at verse 5 through 10. She's not sure that God will fulfill what he has planned. Remember Genesis chapter 25, verse 3. It says there that the older will actually serve the younger. Now, if God says that to you, he's going to make it happen. You don't need to help him. And every time we try to help out God, we mess things up. We make it worse. And we'll find that at the end of this chapter. But she's going to make God's will happen her way. She's going to do it through deceit. Now, notice these parents are not unified in their parenting style. It doesn't even seem that they're communicating, let alone praying together. And because of that, they start to fight one another. But if your goal is for God's will to be done in your children's lives, there will be unity. In the Spirit, God will give you the ability to submit to one another in love. Now, these parents are more interested in their will, notice this, than they are interested in the Lord's will be done in their lives. And before we judge Isaac and Rebecca, I would just take a moment to pause and say, where are you at with this? Where are we at with this? What do we desire for our children? Is it this dream that we've planned? Is it them fulfilling what we never able, were able to do? Are we trying to live our dreams through them and forcing that on them and in the process kind of embittering them? Or are we open to what God has for them? And are we cheering them on to seek the Lord and not worry about what we think? I, th- I think that we could do that and, and set them free to actually live out what God has gifted them to do and what God has given them a desire to do. We should take our desires and our passions and what we're gifted at and get good at them and encourage our kids to do the same. And so, nevertheless, she wants her favorite to be blessed. So guess what she does? She teaches him to lie to his dad. She teaches him to deceive. And this is going to catch up with him later in life. And so, Jacob is prepared to deceive. Verse 11. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. See, he's listened to the plan and he's going to shoot holes in it. Great plan, mom. Let's deceive dad. But wait a minute. Um, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man and I'm smooth skinned. Perhaps my father will feel my skin and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. Isn't that an interesting phrase? I might, he, he might feel my arm and then think I'm trying to deceive him. <laughs> Jacob, you are. 
<laughs> That's kind of the plan. Um, and so he says, I might seem to him to be a deceiver, and I'll bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. Isn't that interesting? His main goal is not to honor his mother and father. His main goal is to make sure it all looks good on the outside. This is a trap. This is something we all fall into, I think. Our concern can become, I don't want to seem like a bad person. I want to seem like a good person. Rather than letting God change our hearts and make us actually a righteous person. (laughs) If you walk uprightly before the Lord, and if you are honest about your sinfulness before the Lord, guess what? He shines light. He sets us free from sin. He changes our hearts. And we no longer have to play the game of what looks good. We can actually just be honest all the time, uncomfortably and comfortably. And people will look at us and think we're nuts for being honest about who we really are. But guess what? We'll no longer be chained to, wait a minute, which lie did I tell this person? And, and what facade am I putting up to this group? And, and you know, I, I fell into that in high school. I... I uh, the question always becomes, how's your grades, right? They're awesome. All, my grades were awesome all the time. And I look back on that and I go, my parents had to think, he's the biggest liar in the world. Or they just believed me, which is even worse. But the reality is that the more you lie, the more you have to cover up your lies and remember which lie was where. And guess what? You even start to believe the lies. And all the time you've met people like this that are always trying to justify how they behave and and tell you how good they are. Well, I'm a good person. But the the problem with that is that it's self-righteousness and and it it keeps you from true righteousness. It it keeps you from freedom to go, I'm a jacked up mess and Jesus is perfect. (laughs) I want you to see him, not me. And so all that to say, his one concern is I don't want to seem like a deceiver to my father. And I truly believe that this describes our world today. We're more concerned about appearance than what is right or wrong in the sight of the Lord. And so before we judge Jacob, let's ask ourselves, am I living in hypocrisy? Am I only deceiving myself? God wants to set you free from that. And so verse 13, but his mother said to him, Okay, so you might be cursed, but let your curse be on me, my son. Just obey my voice and go and get them. And he went and he got the two kids and he brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son, Esau, which no doubt smelled like his version or his brand of B.O., which were with her in the house, and he put the, she put them on Jacob, her son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she gave the savory food and the bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. And so, he's all prepared to deceive. Now look at this. He's prepared for life by his mom. To, to put on a facade, to act like his brother. And yet what we see is in verse 18, he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? 
Isn't it interesting that he speaks to his father and his first response from his father is, who are you? It makes me think that his father wasn't actually used to his younger son's voice. He was unfamiliar with his family. And um, that's sad. But he had no doubt probably spent more time with his older son. And so he says, uh, my father... And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. What a stinking liar. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Red flag. You just left not that long ago and you've already got something. But notice Jacob's response. He doesn't even have to think. He said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. He starts using God talk. Uh, Beware of people that have all the right answers and say all the right things. Because when they say all the right things, you can bet on it. More than likely, they've practiced what they're going to say. And so he says, uh, because the Lord your God, also notice that, your God. He's not saying because the Lord my God. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. And then he said, Are you really my son Esau? He's still not convinced. He's got every opportunity, by the way, Jacob does, to soften his heart and humble himself and say, no, it's not me. I'm sorry, Dad. So many times to repent. But instead he said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now, and kiss me, my son. Isn't it interesting, the phrase there? Come near to me and kiss me. This is in the same spirit as Judas, who brought all of the men, as he's betraying the Son of Man, He walks up to Jesus to identify who Jesus was to the soldiers that came to arrest him. By the way, side note, he had to come and kiss the man that was Jesus because he didn't look super awesome. He blended into the crowd. Jesus didn't look like you think he did. He didn't look a head taller. He wasn't a man's man. He was ordinary. And so Judas, in order to betray the Son of Man, comes up and he kisses Jesus, so that they'll know who to arrest. And Jesus says, because he knows the hearts of man, he says, do you attempt to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And here we have Jacob, a type of Judas, but also we'll see he's a type of Jesus, because only the Holy Spirit can do that. But here we have him, he kisses his father, and As he's kissing his father, his father really had him come close so he could smell the smell of his clothing because he's relying upon his senses to tell whether or not this is his son. He smelled of his clothing and he blessed him. 
So notice in verse 19, Jacob says all the right things. Notice in verse 20, the question becomes, how do you get the game so fast? And Jacob deceives him using uh, God talk. And then over and over from verse 20 through 27, his father is struggling. Are you really my son? Now, in contrast to that, we have Jesus who no one recognized him as really the Messiah. And yet his father three times from heaven spoke and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my son, Peter, hear him. The father is known by the son. And yet here we have Isaac who doesn't recognize his own son because he's a deceiver. Isaac's sense of touch, his sense of smell, his sense of taste, and of course, because his sight had dimmed, they all failed him. And yet the one sense that actually was peaked, the one thing that the hitch, the, the little check in his spirit, the word that he heard from his son, remember he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but he feels like my son. Be careful when something tastes good, feels good, seems good, maybe even smells good, and yet the word of God says, don't go there. Many times church movements fall to this prey. Something that feels good, something that seems good, and it, all the right words are there, and yet there's this check. The word of God is meant to check our spirit and go, what does the word say? Does it align with what I'm experiencing? Maybe it's a, a tingling in a service. Beware, that doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit. First John says, test the spirits and see if it's the Holy Spirit before you obey the Spirit. And so the word that he heard actually would have kept him from blessing what he sought to be the wrong son. And yet what we see in this is that the Lord had blinded him from seeing this because Jacob was the one that was supposed to be blessed. Jacob was the one that was supposed to receive the inheritance. So he does, in fact, receive the blessing. So here's the blessing, verse 27. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you, Jacob, of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. So prosperity from the ground. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. There's the, the older will serve the younger. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. And that's what God said to Abraham, remember? Everyone who blesses you, I will bless, says God. Everyone who curses you, I will curse. And so even though Isaac was planning to bless Esau, even though Jacob lied and schemed to get what his mom wanted and what he wanted, even though Esau, the firstborn, typically would get the blessing in their culture, Jacob was blessed not because of the will of man, but because of the will of God. And you might say, how can God bless a liar? How can God bless a schemer and a deceiver? And I would even go further to say, how, how did God ever bless me? I can relate more with Jacob. I was a liar. I was a blasphemer. The Lord your God provided the meat. 
You know, I was, I was all of the things that Jacob was, a supplanter, a heel catcher, a schemer. And yet God has chosen to bless me. Does God bless sin? No, but he blesses those who have trusted his son, Jesus. Notice that Jacob, to obtain the blessing, what's on him? What did his mom put on him? A goat skin, a covering. An innocent animal had to die to cover him so that he could be blessed. An animal had to be bled out. There's a covering. So even in their evil scheme, it's the gospel. I love this. This is Jesus. Man was trying to kill who claimed to be the Messiah. Man was trying to kill who was going to get in the way of their plans to have their kingdom, Rome, and their authority, the religious leaders. And yet when they killed who they thought got in the way of their plans, Jesus died on the cross for their sins and mine and yours. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 says, Many are the plans and man's heart. And Jeremiah would go on to say that uh, man's heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. But many are the plans of man's heart, Proverbs 19, 21. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, the Lord's plans will actually be established. They will stand. And in Romans, in chapter 8, verse 28, an often quoted verse, it says there, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Jacob had been called according to the purpose of God, for whom he foreknew, who he knew ahead of time. He also chose or predestined in order to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And we'll see that in the life of Jacob. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. He is a a supplanter. He is a cheap shot artist. And yet over the lifetime of Jacob, what we'll find is that he's going to be conformed into what God has called him to be, which is going to be Israel. No longer Jacob, the supplanter, but then Israel governed by God. I love this. That's only God doesn't call people that are already fixed up. God calls liars, sinners. And then every fish that he catches, he cleans. Every every person that he saves, he sanctifies. If you're today here today and you're like I can't God can't do that in me. I'm all the things Jacob is. He chose Jacob before Jacob was born. He saved Jacob. He blessed Jacob. And he's going to prepare Jacob for the plans that he has for them. And today, Jacob's name is Israel, and the nation still exists. God is faithful who also will do it. And he's the only one that's able And so we see this here in Romans chapter 8. And then it says there in verse 30, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justifies. And the word justify means these he also makes righteous. Justified means to be made just as if you had never or I had never sinned. Justified in God's sight. And whom he justifies, these he also glorified. And so 
verse 30 through 38, we see Esau's response to this. Verse 30, now it happened that as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, this, and this describes immediacy, that Esau immediately, his brother, came in from hunting just then. He also made savory food, brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn son, Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly. His knees start to knock. Oh no, what just happened? Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. You see, Isaac was the schemer trying to get his older son the blessing. He knew what God said, and he was trying to do his own will. And then as soon as he realizes that he's blessed the younger, just as God said he would, his knees knock, and he's like, I've tried to thwart the plans of God, and God, behold, shall bless Jacob. Indeed, he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, bless me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Now, is that true? Did Jacob steal his birthright? No, actually... Esau despised it, and he sold it for a bowl of beans. And yet, now, look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master. And all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What's left for me to do for you, my son? You see, they didn't see it as just mere words. If you bless someone, it's established. That's the Lord's will. That's why the New Testament tells us as Christians to bless and do not curse. Even those who would sin against you, because words matter. They mean things. You can't unsay the things that you say. That's why James says, be quick to hear and slow to speak because you don't have to apologize. You can't unsay the things that you've said, but you you can't also say the things that you have not said. If you hold back your words, then you don't have to try to fix up the mess from afterwards. And James goes on to say that the tongue is like, it's like throwing matches in the woods. It's a flame of fire. It's a forest fire that can't be snuffed out. And so Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me and me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. And Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, so there was a blessing for him, by the way. It's just not the blessing Esau wanted. Esau sought for himself greatness that God did not have for him. And had Esau received this blessing and just taken it as a blessing... Rather than looking at it like a curse, he would have enjoyed contentment. Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth, 
and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. You will not always remain under his authority. And so in this, we see the blessing, even though it didn't look like a blessing. And we see the response of Esau. And if you remember in Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, we read this a couple of weeks ago as Jason Cravens taught us. It says, why do the nations rage? And we see Esau, he's raging against what's just happened. And the people's plot in vain. We see that in Jacob and and his mom plotting against the blessing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the chosen, the anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Now Jacob did deceive, but Esau had also first despised the birthright. But if you turn with me to Hebrews in chapter 12, what we see there is that in the hall of faith, or after the hall of faith, it says there, it sums up for us what just happened. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he sold his birthright, but he still wanted the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears." Profane, the word profane, means outside the temple, literally in the Hebrew. And so profane means to be outside of God's righteousness, outside of fellowship with God. And we see in the life of Esau that his descendants, also known as Edom, would go on to be one of the most ungodly nations. God chose Jacob because he knew the end of things. He knows all of time and how, God, how people respond to his love. But he also, it's going to say in scripture that Esau, he hated. But it's not because he didn't like Esau. It's not because he didn't love Esau. It's because he knew how Esau would respond to godly things. And if you want to fast forward, the southern part of Israel, there's a place called Idumea. And it's a, it's, a, it's a word that kind of generates from the word Edom. The Idumeans, who also King Herod would descend from, the, the Herods would actually be descendants of Esau. People that despised, and eventually one of Herod's descendants would be the one who Jesus would be brought before, and he'd say, hey, show me a miracle. I've been wanting to see one of these miracles like he's a sideshow. And yet, because he wouldn't show him a miracle, if you look at Jesus, and somebody brought this out to me this week, Jesus didn't say a word to Herod when he was put before him. He talked to Pontius Pilate, but he would not speak to Herod, the descendant of Esau. So there's this this spirit of evil and wickedness that God wouldn't even speak to in that king, the descendant of Esau. Anyway, just something to think about. So as we close, we see Esau. 
He's still blessed, but to the ungodly who have their own plans apart from God, God's blessing can seem like a curse. Esau plans to kill Jacob in order to meet his need for revenge. He's been wronged, and I'm going to get vengeance since he feels he's been wronged. So as we read, starting in verse 41, I've lost my place. There it is. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father at hand, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Little did he know it would be 40 years later before uh, his father would pass. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Well, that's never got him into trouble. (laughs) Obey my voice. Well, if he would not have obeyed her voice in the first place, he wouldn't have to run, would he? But it says there, Arise, flee to my brother's my brother Laban and Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. And he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth, the Hittites. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? He doesn't want uh, his, she doesn't want her son to marry uh, the men. And what she's doing is really just deceiving Isaac so they can send him away to Laban. But all of this, I want to point out that Rebecca meddled in the things of God trying to get her will done. And if she had trusted the Lord to do what she already wanted, uh, it would have been way less messy. And we like to do that, right? We like to meddle especially in our children's lives. But Rebecca here has created a mess uh, by trying to get her will done her way. She made plans and her plans made a mess and now she feels that she has to protect Jacob even more than she did before. So she sends him away to get his own bride and to protect him from Esau. We'll get into that later. But what I want to point out is she was worried about losing her son And so she sent him away to protect her son. And what we find out is that she never sees her son again. Never. So who's the good guy in this whole story? That's what I struggle with. (laughs) And I will give you the Sunday school answer. Uh, God, Jesus. Uh, Isaac, he does not have the plans of God in mind. Rebecca, she doesn't have the plans of God in mind. Jacob, The blessed one does not have the plans of God in mind. Esau, obviously, does not have the plans of God in mind. And yet, man makes plans in our wickedness, and yet God's ultimate plan was secure. His plan is the only plan that succeeded. And we're going to see throughout all of Scripture, and that's the whole of the Bible, by the way, man is evil and wicked at his very core. Man tries to plot and scheme and save himself. And God sends a redeemer 
and saves them anyway. Offers salvation to you and I. He offers salvation to the most wicked people that have ever existed and will. And yet only those who believe in the Son of God, only those who come through faith in Jesus will be saved. And so, Father, thank you that even though man schemes, even though you pick a nation, even though we try to help you out and lie and deceive in order to get your will done, somehow in our perverted minds that makes sense, your plans will stand ultimately. And so, Father, for those of us here today, I pray that you would give us the ability to hear what the Spirit has for each one of us. For some of us, we've been scheming and trying to get our will done, and we're frustrated and anxious and worn out, and you're telling us to stop it and to trust you. So Lord, help us. I'm among that number. And for those of us who are are shaken in our boots because we feel like we've done too much to even be able to possibly be blessed by you. I thank you for the story of Jacob, that you save us and then you sanctify us. And as you sanctify us, you also glorify us because our lives start to bring glory to Jesus. And so, Lord, change our priorities. Set our feet upon the rock. Tear down the stuff that needs to be removed and set our house on a firm foundation. Lord, help us. Forgive us when we try to get our will done. Forgive us when we're so focused on us that we forget that life is about you. The church is about you. Our children that you've given to us, they are about you. So, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you for it in advance. We look expectantly to see what you're going to do, even though we've done what we've done. We thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.